0: There was a man by the name of John Patton, P A T O N, a Scottish man. Some of you may have heard of him. Let's see a shaking of heads. Uh, if you haven't heard of him, that's okay. You might have heard this story, though, but he felt the call of God to go to the uh, New Hebrides. And so uh, he graduated from the university and uh, married a bride, and they had a baby, sailed to the Southwest Pacific began a work among the savage cannibals that lived there. You would think that would be the last place you'd want to go to. Uh, his wife and infant son died a few months later after they were there. And Patton faced uh, quite a an ordeal in the sense that he had to sleep several nights on the graves where the cannibals wouldn't come and rob their bodies from the grave. And uh, that was a... Sad situation, but uh, he was there for four years. He left after four years, being very faithful, very faithful to God. Not a single convert. And so, well, that doesn't sound very good at all. He lost his wife and lost his son, and no converts. And I know that we would be thinking, well, what a waste. Why would God do that? Why would God send somebody there? And that was his desire to go. But anyway, you know, um, it was a, a door. It was a door, effectual, as it's stated in our text today, that had been opened. And he stepped through it, and immediately there was an adversary to meet him there. And when you read the rest of the story, you'll find out what God had in mind. See, we never see the future we don't know how things are going to end but we uh, always judge things the way that things are now but we must try to see things the way that God sees it many years later he had married again he had another son many years after that um, his son by that second marriage went back to those islands that uh, his father had been to and you go oh no he's not going to go there is he why would he do that isn't that kind of foolish And do you know what? He saw the entire island of people, of cannibals, come to Jesus Christ. And whenever I say the entire island, I'm saying everybody there became a Christian in the New Hebrides Islands by Patton who had set this up. you want to hear the rest of this story? John Patton, who was much older at this time, went to visit that island. He revisited the chief, the old chief now, of that former former cannibal tribe. And the chief, who was a cannibal, who is not now, who is a Christian, asked this missionary, John Patton, he said, who was that great army that surrounded you and your hut every night? When we were ready to attack, we always saw a huge army that was around you. What great army? Well, it was a great army of angels, believe it or not, that God had put around that and protected him. John Patton had stepped through that door. And as you look at the immediate results, you'd go, what a waste. And we do that often. We say, well, what is God doing there? This is, He doesn't know what he's doing sometimes. I don't know what I'm doing. You see, we don't know the rest of the story. He stepped through the door. That's what it was all about. You know what? It was very cruel to him. It was very painful. Um, It was very costly, wasn't it, for him. But God was with him. And through his faithful work, his son then goes to the island... And a whole people were brought to Jesus Christ. And at the end of his trip, John Patton said, after ministering on another island through tearful eyes, he said this, I don't know of one native of these islands who has not made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ. Is that an incredible story? It's true. Fantastic. What an awesome God. When we look at this section today in chapter 16, 5 through 12, if you've read ahead, you'd you'd probably be wondering, how can we get anything out of this? What is Dennis going to do with this passage? Well, you should be asking that because that's what I asked myself when I first read it and read it the second time and the third time and then the fourth time. I kept reading it all week and I said, what am I going to do with this passage? There just really isn't much here for the people. I know there is, believe me. Every, every verse is very important. But when you're thinking human, and say, what can I do with this? Where can we go with this? Uh, let me tell you. What you see here is Paul is going to Corinth as he passes through Macedonia. And you go, okay. All right, let's move on. That's pretty cool. That's good history. Let's move on, right? But the first question that always comes to my mind is how can I get something out of this that I can be sharing to the rest of the church that can be helpful to us? You know, everything there is helpful, but how can we find this? So, believe me, there is more here to this text than meets the eye. We know that, right? Because God God and His Word is tremendous. Sometimes we just have to kind of really dig in there and see what's going on. And I do want to tell you, the key to help us understand what this passage is about from verse 5 through 12 in chapter 16 is going to be found in a previous chapter. If you turn back to chapter 15, and the last verse, it sets us up. And by the way, Paul didn't write in chapters and didn't write in verses. So, sometimes we divide things up so much that it keeps us from trying to understand the whole context. And in 1558 it says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Remember that? John Passon, we just talked about? He labored. It was not in vain at all, was it? Be steadfast. Be immovable. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. That phrase there, always abounding in the work of the Lord, is our jump-off point. And today we title this Doing the Lord's Work. And uh, this is not just about Paul and not just about Timothy and not just about Apollos. Although... Those are key actors in this story. But then we take it up ahead and we fast forward. And I don't think you say fast forward anymore. What do you, what's the terminology there? Fast forward. Okay. And we take it up 2,000 years later to 2010. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. we looked at the text before the text that we're in today when we're in verses 1-4. through 4, Okay? And that was about stewardship with our money. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, right? And so that was stewardship. What do we do with our money? How do we do it? So we saw the uh, good principles with that. So the subject of stewardship is going to continue. They say, stewardship? I don't see any stewardship here. Well, stewardship is dealing with whatever God has given you. And you use that effectively for ministry. Everything that you should live for is for the glory of God and for ministry. You say, well, I'm not a pastor and I'm not a teacher, so therefore I'm not a minister and I'm not into ministry. Yes, you are. If you're a Christian, you are a minister or a servant. Because that's what we're called to do. We're called to be servants. We're called to be ministers. So we've been given a stewardship of ministry, every one of us, we must not waste the opportunities that are given us John Patton was given an opportunity he went through the door and he, it, it was an effective door, we need to be abounding remember that's what Paul said abounding always in the work of the Lord, abounding that means to overdo it if we can put it that way Way over, over the top. We should be abounding in that. Sometimes we get lazy. What is the work of the Lord? Well, I can put it in two e words for you if you want to sum it up. If you say, "Well, what is my ministry?" I don't know what my ministry is, Dennis. I've been for for years. I've been looking for ministry and I can't find it. I really want to do it. I pray about it. I really look for it, and and nothing ever happens. Well, ministry is this evangelism which simply means to tell somebody the good news. Tell them that they're lost. They're in bad news. uh, They've broken God's law. uh, They uh, uh, are on their way to hell. The wrath of God is upon them. That's bad news. And you tell them the good news and you tell them that uh, Christ is the bridge that takes us over and now that we can connect with God. And that's good news. That was pretty simple. What would that take me? 20 seconds. I mean, there's different ways of putting it, but that, you know, evangelism is looking for the lost and telling them that news. Uh, What's the second one? Edification. We want to edify the saints. Who are the saints? All of us. It starts with uh, edifying people in your family, edifying people that you run into uh, throughout the week, edifying the saints. Right here in this church, we need to be edifying each other. We must know. We must know each other. We must know the needs so that we can help build each other up. It's not just a one verse on one, uh, but it is where they both work together. We need to be edified, to be built up. Did you know that the word there in verse 58, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, do you know what the word means there? It means to work to the point of exhaustion. And we are convicted here today, as we have already seen some pretty hard points when we read that verse, that we should be exhausted. You say I can't do it anymore, I'm exhausted. We'll get you a refreshment in the Lord, come to church here, breathe it in, and be ready for another week out there where you're going to be exhausted. Burn out for the Lord as uh, some of the missionaries have said. Um, it means to say, Lord, whatever You've given me, I want to I do it. And uh, I, I, I really mean business. I'm getting tired of messing around, Lord. I want to be serving You. Evangelizing the lost and building up the saints. So don't come up to me or anybody else and say, I don't know what my ministry is. Well, you've been given a gift and it means just dealing... You know what it means? Dealing with people. And if you've ever dealt with... Retail. Sometimes that can be pretty difficult. Because you deal with people all the time. But if you have to go to work anywhere else, whether it be the state, whether it be some other job, or whether you deal with neighbors, you have to deal with people. And wouldn't it be great if God just saved us and He took us right on up and we never had to deal with sinners? And we wouldn't sin? Wouldn't that be great? I've got a better idea, God. He didn't plan it that way, though, did He? Working to the point of exhaustion. Are you Are you guys in there uh, with that? Are you, are you working to the point of exhaustion? Uh, I mean, as far as uh, ministry is concerned? Well, we're to do according to the plans that the Holy Spirit has given us. We want to do it the way that God has in mind. He, he has a plan. He has a work. And, you know, I don't want to be ashamed with it when the inspector comes. The inspector... Um, When we appear before the bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, it's not to be judged for our sins, but it's dealing with uh, rewards. What are we going to have? I don't want to be ashamed when He is doing that. I want to be diligent. I want to be more and more pressed into being diligent. We have six principles today in doing the work of the Lord. And I hope this will help out uh, as we go through this text that uh, we can advance our ministry, each, each one of us and, and of the church. Well, let's read the text. Start in chapter 16, verse 5. Are you excited enough now to get into God's Word? He said, no, I don't want to read this. It sounds like too heavy. You're talking about labor. You're talking about working hard. Okay, let's see. Let's look at Paul. Now, I will come to you when I pass through Macedonia. For I am passing through Macedonia. And it may be that I will remain or even spend the winter with you, that you may send me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not wish to see you now on the way, but I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I will tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great and effective door has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord as I also do. Therefore let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I am waiting for him with the brethren. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to come to you with the brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time. Well, we're right at the end of a letter here. And usually at the end of a letter, you can say, okay, I'm just going to scoot through this, get through this, and go to the next book. Chapter 16. You know, you think of Romans, chapter 15 and chapter 16, or you think of all those. When he closes out, you go, okay, he just has a little few things he just scoots, gets done with him. He's letter. But you know what? There is a load here that we can take home, that we can put in our lives. Uh, first thing is that we are to be planning. Are, are we planning? Uh, that's what Paul did. He planned. Uh, he had a vision for the future. Uh, he saw this deal with Corinth. He's writing to the Corinthians. He happens to be at Ephesus right now. And he needs to uh, go and he's going to be dealing with Macedonia. And then he is going to come to Corinth. And what Paul saw was this. A lost world. That is where planning starts. That's one of the things that you want to really be be putting into your mind. There is a lost world out there. We concentrate on ourselves so much, and man, there are people all around us who are lost, and they're heading right on down into hell. And we're responsible for getting that good news to them. So he planned way ahead. You know what? There was one place where he wanted to go that he kept mentioning. Spain. Or how many times did you see Rome mentioned? God said, okay, you want to go to Rome? I put that in your heart. i got a way to get you to Rome. Free of charge. I'm going to get you arrested. and We're going to put you on trial and we're going to take you to Rome. Free boat ride. And he got to Rome. I don't know about the Spain thing, but I'll tell you what, he had that in mind because Spain... Had just been taken over by the Roman Empire, and what a great opportunity it is there. And there's nobody there that's got the gospel. Man, I want to go there where nobody's been. And that's really what Paul did. I mean, he had gone to places where they'd been. But Rome had already established a church there, obviously, but it had never been reached. And so he said, What a great opportunity! I need to go to people who, you know, have never heard. So he's thinking about Macedonia, he's thinking about Corinth, he's thinking about taking the money to Jerusalem. You see what he's doing? He's planning all this, and it could be months, it could be years before all this happens, but he's got this in mind. He knows there's a need. What's the biggest need? It's a sinful world out there, folks. Has it been showing you how sinful it is? They're lost. They're lost. So he sees needs. He knows there's needs. The needs need to be met, it's going to be in the future. So he looks ahead what isn't being done now and he says this needs to be done. So what he did is he went around looking how he could serve others. So you say, well, I don't have a ministry. Well, if you could start looking around, look at the people around you, especially at church, look at them... Realize some of their needs whenever we have prayers that are lifted up. And that's what we're going to do today at the end of the message. We're going to concentrate on some prayer needs. There's some real issues that a lot of us are dealing with. We really need to bring up. Um, and, and so therefore we want to come in and kind of be uh, a healing bomb that, uh, some things that people are having to really have to deal with. It's, uh, it's pretty difficult now. So, you know, he's, he's looking at, and when you realize when you start finding out you, you start you start talking to people, when you start talking to people, you take a little time and say, "Yeah, this is going to take a little bit of time it's going to take a lunch time, you know uh, you know later in the afternoon i have got to you know I've got to do this, I, listen, now we've got the eyes i i i i rather than sacrificing saying, "Hey, listen, um I know this person over here, I think maybe." You know, maybe if I could start asking some questions and see where they're at. We need to know where certain people are having needs and then pray for them. And then watch out for them. Call them up, talk to them, whatever it is. Say, hey, I'm really concerned. How's that going? What's happening here? Sometimes just asking questions can create opportunities. That's how we minister. Be looking for ways to serve people. Say, well, all that's going to do is cause problems. You know, now I'm going to have to figure out how to do this and I've got other things to do. Uh, be looking for ways. You don't have to look very long. You really don't. Every one of us is needy. And just to know that somebody says, Hey, I had a little tough week. No big deal. I'm not even going to tell you what happened, but just pray for me. You know, I'm having a little struggle in this, you know. So just, just pray for me. But that right there. That person, if, that, if another person prays for them, tell you what, it's amazing how the enemy hates those kind of things and it will be good. The servant will be plotting, he'll be planning, he'll be organizing, he'll be strategizing. He's laying out a method. Uh, Let's get a little background here. 1 Corinthians was written by Paul at the end of a three-year stay in Ephesus. Now, Paul is having 1 Corinthians be handled by Timothy who's going to take that epistle to Corinthians so he sent Timothy with it now originally according to 2 Corinthians uh, in chapter 1, 15 and 16 it says that Paul had planned to follow Timothy just a little while after Timothy left so Paul was going to leave and go straight to Corinth he's going to go right to Corinth and then he was going to go to Macedonia and then back to Corinth so Corinth Macedonia Corinth God had a different plan. But Paul had this plan made out and he thought that was that was God's plan. That's okay. He was thinking out, here's what we're going to do. Well, the the, the plans actually changed. But he had a specific purpose though. Um, William Carey. Everybody's heard of William Carey, right? The great missionary. He was a shoe cobbler. A shoe cobbler. He didn't even make shoes. He was a shoe cobbler. He fixed shoes. Uh, needless to say, is very poor. He had a map of the world in this little room where he fixed these shoes and it was right there on the wall. And he looked at it every day. He looked at this world map. He wept over it. He prayed. He planned. He strategized until the time came. The time came. God sent him to India. Now, He was faithful to what God had given him. God sent him to be a pioneer with other missionaries later on that were going to be sent to India. So, before you are sent on to whatever you do, whether you move out of town, out of state, or just, you know, you're you're wherever, you know, if that would be the case, because usually he calls us right in where we're at. That's pretty well the case where it goes. But you have to be able to do what God gives you now. If you're thinking of big things and going on some kind of mission trip, you really need to be faithful in really doing what you're doing here now. Now, that's planning. Paul's planning. Plans can change. Paul necessarily doesn't change his plans, but God will change even Paul's plans. God has something else in mind. We thought we had a right. Well, it was close to the right idea, but God has a little bit better something over here, so He tweaks it. So in 2 Corinthians, he's talking about his original plan. The plan was changed by God. So Paul knew that his plan was always susceptible to being changed. Don't be surprised if you have something in mind and then, you know, Corinth, Macedonia, Corinth. No, that's not the way it's going to be. He'd now go to Macedonia first, and then Corinth. And so we can see that's what uh, Paul brings out. So we're not to be presuming on things, too. Sometimes we get ahead of God. Although we're planning for a future ministry, it may not work out the way that we want it. Uh, we know we can only plan if it's God's will, and you have to think of James 4.15. And this is a good way to live your life here on anything any kind of thing, whether you're thinking about getting into some other, some kind of business or whatever you're going to do. Verse 13, James 4.13, Come now you who say today or tomorrow we go to such and such a city, spend a year there, buy and sell, and make a profit, whereas you do not know what will happen tomorrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appears for a little time and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. There we go. If the Lord wills. If it's His will. Matter of fact, that qualifies all of our prayers too, doesn't it? Lord, if this be Your will. You know, we ask Him what we, you know, and say what we need to, but say, Lord, if it, if it be Your will. We want Your will and, and that's all. Look in Proverbs 16.9, and everybody's familiar with this one. As soon as we read it, we go, oh yeah, yeah, I've heard that many times. On, on many plaques and pictures and such and uh, memory verses. Therefore, if I get the right book, there's no there, therefore here in this one. Really. A man's heart planned his way, Right? We have our plans, but the Lord directs His steps. Aren't you glad of that? You have a plan, and sometimes it can be exactly what God has in mind. Or He takes that plan and He directs it in the way that He wants, in the timing that He wants. This, all, this deals with our daily life, doesn't it? Uh, our prayer life, and, and uh, our work life, and family life, everything but it can be even into things of business and work and whatever. A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. He's in charge of it all. And Paul very well knew that. So we, we know we can only plan if it's God's will. God's and he was, Paul, of all people, the Apostle, was, was flexible to God's plans, and he was really humble about it. Um, we have to be flexible. Things are not always going to come together the way that we thought. You ever notice that? How many times does that happen? Things just don't come together the way that we thought they were. But then you look back on it, it might be years later, and you go, oh, that's well, yeah, that's pretty cool. That's what God was doing. Well, I'm glad He did that. <laughs> I didn't see this. So uh, That's what living by faith and not by sight is about. That's, that's trusting God and obeying. If we already knew what was going to happen, then we'd say, okay, then I'm going to go down that path. Uh, I'm not so sure. Is this God's? Is this God's wisdom here? Is this His will or not? Well, if you think that's what it is, you take it and you say, "Well, okay, yeah, it is." But uh, there's a there's a little term we have to make here, Oh, a little detour, huh? Okay, all right, now that's okay. So just be prepared to be to be flexible. God does adjust plans, our plans. But you know, Paul wasn't too firm on these things. We can see it, if the Lord permits, as as He states here. Um, God can change our plans right in the midstream. You know, so be ready when the doors open that they could just slam in your face too. Because He says, "Okay, you went through this door, but there's a door now. I want you to go through here. Wait for a little bit." And uh, that's happened to us too. Are you ready for God to shut the door on your face? Because He does that. He did it to Paul. He does it all throughout Scripture. He's done it to us. Now let's look in, I think it's Acts, chapter 15. You remember uh, you had Paul and Barnabas going out? in the early days of the mission work. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, "Uh, let us now go back and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Now, Barnabas was determined to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul insisted that they should not take with them the one who had departed from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. Paul says, there's no way, I'm not going with him. Barnabas is an encouragement, And he said, yeah, we're going to take him. Then the contention became so sharp. These are men of God. They had contention. Imagine that. That they parted from one another, Paul and Barnabas. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, being commended by the brethren to the grace of God. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. You know what? God used that contention that they had and now He's got two troops going out. They're going to two different places. And after it's all said and done, you can say, well, isn't that cool? Look what God had in mind. They didn't have that in mind. I'm sure Paul was upset. Barnabas was upset. Now they go out and they take the Gospel out and you have more people saved. Would we have ever seen that? we said, well, those guys... Well, they should have gotten along, but I'll tell you what, they didn't, but God used the contention for, for good, didn't He? That's amazing. God can do those kind of things. How about in Macedonia? We remember this one in in verse 6 of chapter 16. Paul's probably going, what in the world is going on? Now when they had gone through uh, Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Well, Paul's been saying, we're going to go to Asia. Yeah, I can't wait to go to Asia. Man, I'm, I'm getting up for this. You know, come on guys, let's head for it. Let's go, let's pack it up, let's go now. Holy Spirit comes along and says, Stop! You're not going anywhere. You're not going over to Asia. After they'd come to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. So they tried to go into Bithynia. But the Spirit didn't permit them. What? What's going on? Lord, look, I'm trying to do Your work. Uh, So passing by Mysia, they came down to Troas. Okay, where else can we go? And a vision appeared to Paul one night. Now, this doesn't always happen. It can but this is not the rule of thumb. Don't look for visions for direction from God. Remember, Paul was an apostle and, and he has to go through this, this God can speak to us. I never limit that. But for people that come to me all the time and they have this vision, they had that vision, and they haven't been in the Word of God, they don't really know God's will and they do things and they say things that are not biblical and you can go, you know what? Uh, if God's not speaking through His Word, He's not going to be speaking through... Uh, Visions, night visions and things. People are directed by that music. It's crazy stuff. But um, this this happened to Paul. and, And it's a good thing. A vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. Now after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. Paul said, okay, forget the Asia thing. Forget the Bithynia thing. I'm going to Macedonia. He didn't plan that at first, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach a gospel to them. He concluded that. I believe he concluded rightly, right? Okay. So he knows God's will there. David Livingston really, really was quite the missionary to Africa. He saw many African people come to the Lord Jesus Christ And uh, from a very early age, his vision was not for Africa. He was a young boy. And it was always China. That's where he was going to go. He was going to go to China. Right up to the day that he died. Even after he had done the Africa thing, he still wanted to go to China. God said, you're not going to China. He did his Africa thing. God never sent him to China. God closed the China door for Livingston. Why not? He opened up Africa. And it was the great and effectual door that God opened, even though He had a heart for China. Hmm. Do the best that you can, but no God can change the plans that you have. And it'll be for the best. Sometimes we'll get in a place where we don't know where to go, and now we are we're, we're stuck. I can imagine everybody here has been stuck. Now, Lord, what, what do we do now? I've been praying this prayer for fifteen years. What do you what do you where am I supposed to go, Lord? I just want to do your will. What am I supposed to do? What what do we do? We get in that place. And we don't and he's got the when, he's got the how, he's got the way, he's got the where. I mean, it's, he has all that. So, anyway, that's how he's directed certain men through history and through scripture. Look in Romans chapter 9, verse 21. You know, our doctrine of the sovereignty of God really always explains things. When we don't think things are the way that we want, Just remember that we are just clay. We're just clay. And the potter is taking us and molding us, and he's doing whatever he wants to do. Verse 21 Does not the potter have power over the clay? From the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Uh, That's a tough passage one for honor and another for dishonor and then you move into verse 22 and verse 23 and that uh, presents quite a uh, stumbling block for our natural mind but I can tell you that there are people that he's going to make for his own and others are not his own and um, you have to read over this and if you have questions uh, later we'll uh don't come to me because I don't know. No.
1: <laughs>
0: I, I love this chapter. And the more I see it, I see how much God is in control of everything. And ultimately, His will always wins. He's making it. We want to yield to that. Uh, oh man, who are we to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to Him who formed it, Why have you made me like this? Doesn't the potter have power over the clay? He's going to take and shape that. God may take you in a place you would never think would be possible. He's the potter and He knows where we need to be. And you know what? We never even chose to be in this world before we even existed. God already had it planned out. He knew us when we were in the womb. Before we were in the womb. But we weren't here. We didn't exist. We didn't choose who we were going to be, what we were going to be, where we were going to live. We didn't have any choice in what we were going to look like. You'd think, well, we ought to have a choice of where I'm going to be born at and the parents I'm going to be born with. No, we didn't even have that. The potter. The potter continues. And then He saves us. Brings us out of that foolish darkness and sin that we were in and He's forming us. And even as Christians, whenever it's just the lights are not as bright as they should be and we don't see very good and we've got blinders on like glasses and He's still shaping us. He knows where we need to be. The plans are scheduled by God's will and then He puts it into our heart if we're following His truth, what we need to be doing. Now we go to the third one and it's dealing with serving Thoroughness. That's what Paul did in his serving. He was very thorough. We find that in verse 7 and 8 of our chapter 16. For I do not wish to see you now on the way. But I hope to stay a while with you if the Lord permits. But I won't tarry in Ephesus until Pentecost. Here's the plan now. I was going to come to you, but I'm not. I'm in Eph- i am I got to stay in Ephesus. Man, I have to stay in Ephesus. I've got to get some work done here that has to be done. He wanted to commit Himself for a lengthy time period here. They needed Him. They needed Him bad. Now, he's kind of at the end of this three-year jaunt with them, but He wants to give them their truth that they need. And you know what? Ephesus turned out to be quite a strong church in doctrine. We know later, though, they left their first love but they were strong in doctrine. And look what kind of teachers they had. They had Paul. They had Timothy. They had uh, Apollos. They had um, the Apostle John come through there. Can you imagine those teachers? Can you imagine having those guys? Those guys knew what truth was that Paul has to make sure to get this stuff through them. And so, we turn to Matthew 28 and we see a great commission that was given by Jesus Christ Before he ascended, Jesus came, spoke to them saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Everything. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations. This is not just to the apostles. This is to everybody. Is to them, but we know that this had to continue. If it stopped with the apostles, the church would not continue. We have to have a message. We have to have this gospel to make sure that the church moves on. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And Lord, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. What can happen is people can baptize people and then that's it. and They don't worry about their souls after that. They are saved. No, He says here, make disciples of them. You teach them. Yes, we baptize them, but here is what we do. We make disciples. Make them learners. Teaching to observe what? All things. All things. Paul said to the Ephesians later on, I was with you night and day, I wanted to teach you the whole counsel of God. All of Scripture. The, the whole shebang. Not just a piece here and there, but everything. Look in Acts. Well, that's, that's Acts 20.27. 20, that's uh, where he was talking to the elders. If, if you go to Colossians 1, 28 and 29 Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians one twenty eight. Him we preach. Warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's uh, coming to a, a kind of a completion or a, a maturity, a maturity in Christ. To this end, I also look at this word labor, striving like a runner that's going for that flag at the end as he's trying to win the race. Striving according to his working which works in me mightily. See, it's the power of God that does all this. Warning every man, teaching every man wisdom, presenting Jesus Christ, that they would have Christ, that they would see the that they're in the image of Jesus Christ. The whole council of God. Ephesians five sixteen says, Buy up the time, make the most of your opportunity. Make the most of your opportunity. As a matter of fact, let's turn there just for a moment. Ephesians five, sixteen. Redeeming the time, buying up the time, because the days are evil. We don't have much time here. We don't have much time. Let's let's get it done. Uh, let's get that truth out. Understand what the will of the Lord is. He says in verse 17, what's the will of the Lord there? Be filled with the Spirit. Be filled with Him. And then, therefore, here's how we relate to the rest of the church. Here's how we relate at home and then with husband and wife and here's how we relate uh, with the kids and here's how we relate on on the job. So it covers everything. But it starts with uh, being filled with God's Spirit. Make the most of your time. Be faithful. Was Paul faithful? Was he committed to serving God? Being faithful. If we're not faithful with the small doors, then how can we expect a great big door, an effective door, to be open if we haven't been committed to following just the little bitty small things? Serving the people around that we probably think I don't want to waste my time with them. He has allowed us a place of blessing. Right in here in this little local body. Quite a blessing it is. None of us put this together. I can stand here and say, hey, I I know of you guys, but I didn't have any of this to come together, ultimately. I mean, I come to know you as you guys have come to know me, but look what God does. It's been quite a blessing. When we're thankful. He, you know, that's that's his will, and that we would worship him. And so Paul is uh, one who was was faithful, and he wants wants us to be that way. And God will give us greater things to do. God wants us to do something here. So we just uh, pay attention to what he's he's given us. Open doors. Open doors. That moves us into verse 9, doesn't it? For a great and effective door has opened to me. And there are many adversaries. All right. God prepares us small things first, lets us learn before He puts us in bigger ministries. So, what we have, God's plans are scheduled. By His will. He schedules the plans. It's all by His will. As we sit under His feet, the Word of God, in prayer. And then, not only does He set the plans, but He regulates the gospel opportunity. As you sit under His feet, you learn who He is. Then, He regulates that opportunity. And right here in verse 9, Paul is now ready to go another step. He went through different things too. And he just didn't start out as soon as he became a believer going to Rome and Spain. uh -uh -uh -uh, God had to prepare him a little step at a time. Learning about who God is. Who God is. That's that's what it's about. So we we move to this verse 9. And it gives us the reason why Paul was going to stay in Ephesus there for a little while longer through the spring. Personally, I think it's because you get a lot of rain in Corinth in the spring, and in Ephesus, it's uh, a lot milder. I'm ah, just kidding. <laughs> Sometimes we like to go places that have great weather. <laughs> what if I can go to Hawaii? <laughs> I go to San Diego, some place where it's about seventy-three degrees. Now. Multitudes of ministry opportunities for Paul, and he didn't want to leave them. Uh, They had just popped up all over, and it didn't make any sense to leave. He was excited to serve. So what we're going to do is we're going to take that phrase first. That's the end of that verse 9. There are many adversaries. If you're going to do the Lord's work, we need to know something first. The old devil will present opposition. And we need to know that in our daily lives. We already know Ephesians 6, right? We know that as soon as you become a Christian, you're going to encounter the enemy. Opportunity and adversity always go together. If you're going to have an opportunity come spiritually, I will guarantee you there will be opposition. That's because it's biblical here. And Paul puts it here. There's an effective door and there are many adversaries. He doesn't say, but there are many adversaries, so I'll tell you what, I'm coming to Corinth. (laughs) No. um, He knows the adversary is there. Step through the door, but have both eyes open as you step through the door. Be ready to stand firm. When you read the Bible, you're going to see any men of God with opportunities, and they're always accompanied with battles of the enemy. I think of Nehemiah. Everybody remember Nehemiah? We actually went through the book of Nehemiah back uh, kind of a few years ago now, hasn't it? Nehemiah was sent by the Lord to um, build a wall around Jerusalem. And he had been um, in a different empire, really different nation and... and uh, the king there sends him there, sets him up to to go there and everything, and uh, ap- after he had plans, and so he led the Israelites in rebuilding that wall. But if you'll remember the story, uh, as soon as he had gotten there and gotten things going, um, along came some enemies, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, and so they team up to cause all sorts of havoc as they are building the walls. A trowel in one hand and a sword in the other. <laughs> there we go. that That's what the Christian life is. I mean, that's a good picture and illustration that historically really did happen. But uh, believe me, while you're serving the Lord, that's what's happening. Jesus is a great example. You say, well, you know, you're using these men of God. Now you're going to use Jesus? That's impossible. You know, I can't be like Him. Well, Jesus... Uh, after 30 years was then sent into the wilderness to, and he's getting ready to do his ministry he hasn't done his ministry that that we know of it's found in the gospels till that time goes in the wilderness and guess what happens the enemy comes to him at the weakest time period physically and Satan offers him all sorts of things. Three great temptations. Whenever Jesus is really worn out and he's thirsty and hungry, and he is met by the devil with all of these things, and I can think of Ephesians six again. And he stood firm. And what did he do? He used the Scripture, Second uh, Corinthians chapter one. It's just a page or two over if you're in your First Corinthians, Second Corinthians chapter. 1, verse 8. Yes, we have the sentence of death in ourselves. Physically, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Who delivered us from so great a death, kept them out of it and does deliver us in whom we trust that He will still deliver us. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Then we turn to chapter 4 of Second Corinthians, verse 8. That was at the point of death. He was in ministry. Oh, we've heard of this. Look at verse 7. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. Clay pots. Jars of clay. That's where that comes from. You ever heard of that group, jars of clay? So we well, jars of clay. That the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We're just nothing. But look what He does. His power is shown through us. Here we go. Ready? We are hard pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live always delivered to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So then death is working in us, but life in you. Hey, we'd all like to serve the Lord, but are we willing to be challenged by the adversary? Are you prepared to meet the enemy? Well, whether you are or not, he's there. You can say, well, I don't want this battle. And I can say, "Uh, you're in it anyway. It's there. The enemy's there. G. Campbell Morgan said, if you have no opposition in the place where you serve, you're serving in the wrong place. (laughs) The adversaries can be equal to the open door. Some people go to do mission work. They think it's just going to be a picnic. It's going to be fun in the sun, limelight, and we'll hang out on the beach and give the gospel. And they realize that uh, there's going to be company out there where the fields are white for harvest and the workers are few. And the company may not be the kind of company that they realize that's really coming uh, That company just may be the devil and his adversaries. Acts 19 shows a whole host of adversaries that Paul had to encounter. You know where Acts 19 takes place? Ephesus. I'm just going to give you a brief overview. You don't have the time to go through that whole one, but it's a good one to read. Paul had opportunities and he had adversaries. This is what happened when he said there's an effective door and there are many adversaries. There was blaspheming uh, Jews. There was the exorcist Jews trying to cast out demons when they didn't even believe in Jesus. There was the occult involved. There was the the burning of the the occultic books. the, The temple of Diana and the riots. You know, Paul had all sorts of adversaries coming against him. And he said, yet there's a wide door for service. There's a wide door. It's just open. Wide open. I'm going right through. And there's the enemy right there. Every step that he'd take, boom, the enemy was right there. You think the enemy wanted Ephesus to have a church there built on the Gospel and great men of God delivering the truth there? No way the enemy is going to let that happen. The temple of Diana there. That's my temple, Satan is saying. Well, guess what? We win again. The Gospel wins. The only reason why Paul got the opportunity to step through that big door was because he had entered through many small doors before. Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount mount, to enter into the closet. What's the closet? Prayer. Your prayer closet. Enter into there. Have you entered into that? Jesus said in Revelation 3.20, If any man enter the door, I will come in and sup with him. To dine with him. To fellowship. To commune with him. That's where everything starts. That's where all the power is at. And we just see his greatness. We just lose ourselves. Forget yourself. Take up the cross and follow me. Don't be focusing on all the things around your life. Be focusing on the things of God. And you know what? Things start to fall into place. He says, forget yourself. Sup with me. Eat with me. Focus on me. He says, I'll meet your needs. Right? Are we involved in the open door of communion in the congregation? Are we involved in that open door? We have an open door here to talk to anybody that we like because we're on the same level. We believe in the same God. We're on that level. Are we here to meet Christ? Are we here to meet Christ and His people, right? If God opens a door, by all means, go through it and don't let it close. Do it. God has something great planned. Don't pass by that door. Don't ignore it. He's given you a tremendous stewardship. Just an awesome thing to do. But at the same time, we have to be patient before we go through that door. Because the door maybe hasn't opened yet, but the Lord will open the door. So whenever He opens, don't be trying to push in. Just say, God, whenever you make that available, if that's what it is, that's what I want, I will go through. Now, the last one is dealing with teamwork. Teamwork. And this is what we're getting ready to close with here. One's Timothy, the other one's Apollos. And if Timothy comes, see that he may be with you without fear, for he does the work of the Lord, as I also do. Therefore, let no one despise him, but send him on his journey in peace, that he may come to me, for I'm waiting for him with the brethren. Oh, wow. He's going to send Timothy to where? Who's he writing to? Think about it. As you read along, it's the Corinthians. Oh, we just read 15 chapters of Corinthians and they got a lot of problems. And he's sending a young man, Timothy, there. Oh, boy. Paul knew what he's doing. He said, I don't know if Timothy's ready to go there. Ephesus one thing, but Corinth? Yeah. He was much younger. And I'm sure Paul knows that there's going to be some people in Corinth that's going to give Timothy a problem. And uh, he's saying here, um, when Timothy comes, that you, uh, you may be with you. Uh, that he may be with you without fear. They, you know he doesn't have to fear you. He does the Word of the Lord just like I do. I know you have you have your people you follow. You have your Paul people. You have your Jesus people. You have your apostles people. I'm sending you Timothy, and I want you to um, honor him. That's what Timothy means. Darling. It's not about his age. It's not even about his experience. It's about his living. It's about his purity. It's about his love, his spirit, his faith. He was called by God. He was not to be despised. Don't let anybody despise your youth, Timothy, Paul tells him later. And he's telling the Corinthians, you treat him the way you treat me. Oh, wait a minute. Second thought. (laughs) How do we treat other believers? No matter what we think about them. How do we treat them? How do we treat non-leaders in that? Paul said to the church, Timothy is going to command respect, and he's commended by me, and I want you to respect him no matter what he's going to say, what he's going to do, his age or his experience. I want you to trust God in here and pay attention to him. So you know, Paul really has dependence upon others. You know, he doesn't do this by himself. Usually we think of Apostle Paul and he's out there all by himself. He's a lone ranger and everywhere he goes, he's doing this thing with him and the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. But that's not true. He had all sorts of people surround him. He isn't doing a one-man thing. Uh Uh He has people around him always doing different things. He is totally dependent upon others. And that's what we are. We're dependent on God. We're dependent on other people in the, in the church. Uh, the last one's found in verse 12. And this is a different kind of thing here. Now concerning our brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to come to you with the brethren. Uh, he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has convenient time. Yeah, he was saying, yeah, is. Apollos already knows about Corinth. He's been there. <laughs> He's not going there. I don't know if it was really that situation. I think he had some things to do. Um, By the way, you could think, well, Paul could be jealous. You know, some people are Paul and some are Apollos. And why would he even ask? Why would he say, Apollos, you really need to go. You you need to go there. Yeah, I I will, but not right now. You you need to go. You would think he would say, oh, listen, uh, hey, that's my deal down in Corinth and Apollos. Don't you dare touch that. Because I know they they were they had a group following you, right? No, Paul's not that way at all. Paul wasn't jealous uh, of of anybody. Uh, matter of fact, he invites him to come along and preach and he'll he'll be listened to. Uh, I think Apollos know that he had many people that really favored him. You remember he was a great orator. You're in the Corinth area, philosophers, Athens area, right? Apollos, oh, wow, Greek name. This guy can speak. Man, he's eloquent, right? Oh, man, did he have his following. They loved him. I'm sure he could go there and they'd give him all that he needed, all the liberties that he would have going there. But he's saying, hey, I'm not going to go there for the money. I'm not going to go there for the tension. He, you know, he's not promoting himself. He's not into the party spirit. He's not going to pander to all that. Um, you know, he could have said, oh man, these people love me so much. I'll get be a great time. I'll, I'll get a great listening here. I'll be sitting up to a great table. They're going to give me feasts every night. Man, they, the food that they have there, man, I'm going to take that in. They just love me so much. But he didn't go. Probably had a place that was maybe a little bit harder at the time. I don't know what the reason is that he didn't go. Uh, It's not that he didn't want to serve God, but I know he didn't want to serve God and mammon. There was a reason why. So even the great apostle himself authorized to tell Apollos, uh, he he didn't authorize himself, you know, in in that sense. He didn't authorize him to, uh, that he had to go. That. uh, Hey, I'm forcing you to go anyway. You know, this is the great Apostle Paul. No, he he let the Lord work in Apollos. And Apollos is saying, this I'm uh, not comfortable going here right here, right now. Uh, something else is happening. So Brother Apollos, I strongly urge him to come with you, brethren, but he was quite unwilling to come at this time. However, he will come when he has a convenient time, when that time is right. Harry Ironside has said this well. I would would not like to tear this chapter out of my Bible. It helps me to understand God's way of guiding His servants and their ministry for Him. So this little text that we have here, it is important, isn't it? We've seen God at work in the men at work. We've seen how He works in these particular men. We've seen how He He, um, gave uh, the schedule by His will and we've seen how he regulated the gospel opportunity. Uh, Timothy, uh, young as he is, is to command respect. And Apollos is is steadfast and firm. And Timothy has a testimony. Apollos is actually independent also. While he's dependent, he is independent in the ministry that he does. And it's not that Paul comes up and says, God told me to tell you that you have to get down there. (laughs) That kind of happened to John Calvin. (laughs) That's a good thing. Whenever he went into Geneva. And he says, If you don't, God's gonna judge you. John Calvin was whoa, you know, and so he stayed in Geneva, and of course we know the rest is history there. But um uh, anyway, sometimes people have a word from God and it may not necessarily be a word from God. It might be helpful. Maybe they say, Well, here's what scripture says about this. Uh okay, it might be something to pray about. But um we have um seen these guys that abound in the work of the Lord. And we can imagine, Paul says, be ye followers of us, even as we are followers of Christ. As he finished verse uh, chapter 15 and verse 58, uh, always abounding in the work of the Lord, that your labor will not be in vain in the Lord. Let's serve Him. Let's pray.